0: Our scripture reading today is from Hebrews seven twenty-six through 8, 6. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every priest every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by by God, saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that we can come here today and be strengthened and renewed as we feast on the words through the sermon, and also as we come to the table today. Give Andrew wisdom through your spirit and open our hearts to your word today, amen. You may be seated.
1: I am a lover of detective stories anybody else uh, like the a few others okay I see some hands uh, it's good to you know you're walking with Holmes or miss Marple or father Brown or any of these guys and you know as a It's unfolding. As you read a lot of them, you start to get a little bit used to sort of the details that are put in there or the strange actings of different people. And you're like, ah, that's something to pay attention to because you know that eventually the whole thing's gonna be revealed, right? The denouement, everybody's all gathered together and you know the pipe-smoking detective says, it happened like this, and it happened like that, or maybe you like Monk, maybe you like Adam Dagliash, I don't know who it is, but you, you begin to see how all the pieces and parts that were seemingly insignificant or didn't seem to fit together, they come together, they tell a story, and it all makes sense. I love detective stories partially because it's a good way to think about our life. We're, we're kind of in the middle of a detective story. There are all these clues and hints and, and various uh, pieces and parts being revealed at different times that are all telling a story that is awaiting this final unveiling, that is awaiting this time when we'll be together before the throne of the Lord and we'll say, ah, now it all makes sense. Now I get why this and that and all of these things that that don't make any sense to us now. There, There is a culmination that we're moving to and we begin to anticipate the unveiling of the mysteries of the Lord. And and that's part of what I believe the preacher to the Hebrews is trying to get across to his congregation. Uh, we've been talking about this for several weeks now, but the congregation is a group of people who are in danger of drifting away. I think that was back in chapter 6. They're in danger of letting go of the rope, uh, losing their faith, not because they've been drafted by a heresy, but they want something more tangible. And so they're thinking about going back to Judaism. And so this preacher has been coming to them and saying, hang on to the rope. You know, hang on, there's, there's more coming. You're in the middle of the story. And, and it's a great story, a story in which Jesus is the, the, the peace. He's like the capstone, the keystone that makes sense of everything. He is the cipher that will unlock it all. Keep your eyes on him. Keep focused on Jesus. And been saying he's the final word. He's better than the angels. He's better than Abraham. He's better than Moses. He's, he's better than the high priests of the old covenant. And this is where we were last week. Contrary to popular belief, we were not hazing Michael by giving him Melchizedek. Uh, but he just had the part of the story where this preacher is saying... Here is this Melchizedek. He is one who stands apart from the Old Testament priesthood, and he's greater than the Old Testament priest because he didn't gain his priesthood by uh, normal sort of uh, generational ascension where he of the Levites, and because he was a son, he gained it by a promise. He was appointed by God, and he wasn't just a priest. He was also a king, and this is the order of the priesthood of Jesus, and we can have all of this confidence because Jesus is the greatest, the supremest being in the universe, and and we can bank on that, and that is where this preacher keeps bringing us back to. In the midst of our lives, where we're trying to figure it out, we're trying to put the pieces together, where we, like that Hebrew audience, we're we're tempted to let go of the rope, we're tempted to go to something that seems more substantial, the preacher keeps saying, keep your eyes on Jesus. Uh, Draw near to Him. Uh, Come to Jesus. He is the one that makes sense of Jesus. Everything, or as our text says, uh, He is the one who is the fitting. High priest, the one who makes sense. So, just a couple of things for you today. I want to just drive home as this text does. It's hard to know where to divide. I mean, this sermon is is so well put together and hangs together. It moves from sort of proposition, or it moves from uh, indicatives into imperatives. It moves from proposition to application pretty seamlessly. Uh, we're at a point in the service or in the sermon now. Where We're moving away from the point that he has been making into some application. But before we do that, we see again this point that we have a high priest, one who is holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He he is elevating the person of Jesus or he is unveiling the elevated person of Jesus. He wants us to see who this one is. He's different than anything that has ever come before or anything that will ever come since. Old Testament priests, they had a need to offer sacrifices daily, first for their own sins, verse 24, and then they could offer uh, for the people. Uh, The law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later, than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." This is the the proposition that this preacher is driving home. He's saying this is true. Jesus is a better, more excellent high priest. He didn't come just by natural succession. He was appointed by God. He didn't come needing to offer a sacrifice for his own sin because he's holy, he's unstained. He is uh, exalted above the heavens, uh, and he brought a sacrifice, and this is actually going to be the point of, of the next several chapters. so I'm not going to dwell on it today. He brought his own sacrifice. He brought him himself as the perfect, unspotted lamb. He was nailed to the cross. That was what Jesus brought, and that was the ultimate satisfaction. So here, here is where this preacher is. We have this sacrifice. And we stop and we pause and we say, we recognize that. Thank you. That is incredible. Especially when we, we, we reckon with what is told us here that he has been exalted above the heavens. One of the things that Hebrews really tries to do um, you know, oftentimes in our Christian life, we, we think about Jesus' finished work. We think about the fact that he, he went to the cross, he, he was crucified, he, he died for our sins, and we also think of his, uh, his resurrection. Do we dwell on his ascension to the degree that we ought to? you know do we really appreciate as the writer says here that he is he has been exalted above the heavens and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty 81 and 82 it's really an incredible picture he's saying here you have one who is unstained unblemished he's separated from sinners he he is not needing to sacrifice for his own sin, and he's exalted to the right hand of the throne of the majesty. Maybe you notice that word majesty there in 8.1. It's only used two times in the New Testament. It's used here, and then it's used in Jude 25, uh, which is the doxology I'll, I'll give you from Jude a little bit later on in the service. <coughs> but this is the only time that it's used in a, in a definite noun sort of way. You know, the right hand of the throne of the majesty. And, and part, of what, part of what this writer, this preacher is trying to do is he's elevating our thoughts. Remember, this is a group of people who are worried about losing their jobs if they do not exceed or acknowledge Caesar as Lord. Uh, They're worried about their lives, if they're called to go into the Colosseum, face the wild beasts or the gladiators or whatever might be. I mean, there are so many things that are pressing in on these people's lives. And he's saying, I know that it is difficult, but lift your eyes up. There There is a reality in the universe that is greater than what you are facing—that is more transcendent. There is the throne of the Majesty that we can look to, and that we can—that uh, informs us as we go through our lives day to day. And this is good news for us because we're all facing things. I don't think most of us are facing the Colosseum. Uh, we're not facing gladiators. We're not facing. Job loss in exactly the same way, though we do make choices in our vocation, uh, where we have to decide whether we are going to stand for uh, right and wrong as it is arbitrated to us by God's word. We have to stand, make stands in terms of our faith in our in our jobs. Oftentimes, uh, we face all sorts of persecutions, suffering, sufferings through. Just our bodies breaking down, our mental health breaking down, relationships breaking down, all of these different things. And part of what Paul says is consider. Consider Jesus. Consider this Holy One. Consider where he is, you know, exalted above the heavens at the right hand of the throne of the majesty. And now I want to give you three sort of practical applications to that as we not only consider it, but we also celebrate what this preacher is saying here. I'm going to take them a little bit out of order for what they're listed for you in your bulletin. The first one that I want to look at is that we we have a serving Savior. Uh, two times in this text, we're told that Jesus, in his role as this great, most excellent high priest continues to serve us. Uh, Verse 2, he's a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Uh, And then later in verse 6, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, uh, since it's enacted on better promises. What does it mean that Jesus is a minister? Well, you remember when Jesus says the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the same term that is being used here, a servant, a minister. And Jesus, though he is at the right hand of the throne of the majesty, inhabits all of this glory, is performing a job there. He is performing a task, and He is serving His people. He is ministering before the throne of the majesty. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. He is making continual intercession for us, uh, and He is reminding the Father of the promises He's dispelling the Holy Spirit, dispensing the Holy Spirit into our hearts. He is uh, commanding His angels concerning His people. All of these things Jesus is doing as He carries out the role of a minister before the throne of glory. This is an incredible picture and an incredible truth to think about, like you in the cosmic reality in the universe before the throne of the majesty you have a friend you have somebody who is working on your behalf somebody who lives to make intercession for you isn't that incredible uh something to think about it's You know How do we make it through? You can see what the preacher is doing here. He's saying, I know you're tired. I know you've got these drooping hands. You've got these weak knees. I know you're about ready to drift away. I know that you're thinking of letting go of the rope. Don't do it. Think about who Jesus is and think about what he's doing. What he's doing is he is serving you. He is lifting you up. He is interceding for you. He knows what's going on. He knows the deep wounds of your past. He knows the the fearful moments that you have when you think about your future. He knows the incredible difficulties that you're going through right now in your present. He knows all of it. And he is serving you, serving me before the right hand of the throne of the majesty. How do we go forward? Sometimes I really wonder that. I I listen to your stories and I think, oh Lord, can you just light up a little bit on this person? (laughs) Can, Can you just lift your thumb for a moment? But then were said, lift lift your eyes up. Consider Jesus. He's there. He hasn't forgotten you. He is making intercession. He is serving you. He is ministering to you, for you, before the throne of the majesty, the grace of God is dispense. We we hold on to these truths as we move forward. They help us to recognize and I think again this is what this preacher is doing particularly here because you see he's bringing us into the heavenly realm. The point of what we are saying is this, like grab onto this. This is the application. There is a reality that is transcendent to what we experience as reality. You know, what we often experience of reality is just part of the picture. You know, we are, are in the beginning of the detective story. We're seeing clues to it, but we don't see the whole picture yet. Or if you like a different analogy, we're in Act 1, and we haven't really gotten to the end of Act 2. We're not seeing how everything comes together, but here we're given a vision that says, this is what is going on. This is what transcends what we experience on a day-to-day basis. This is the heavenly reality. There you have Jesus who is the minister before the throne of the majesties making intercession for you. Take hope. Don't let your feelings right now Overrun you. One writer puts it this way. He says, here is a clear word to any Christian in despondency or despair. We may feel crushed, dejected, bewildered, or broken, but our eternal salvation has never depended on our vacillating moods or our changing circumstances. Christ has entered the heavenly sanctuary once for all. He offered his blood for us, and there he has appeared for us, and now he is praying for us. We are ever remembered at the throne, and our names are enrolled in heaven. This is our confidence. Our faith is grounded not in what we are or what we have done, but ever and always in what he is, God's perfect son, our great high priest, and what he has done through his perfect eternal sacrifice. A word for the despondent, for the despairing, a word for the near crushed. A promise that God will not extinguish a smoking flax. He, he will not uh, crush out a broken reed. He continues to make intercession for us. A couple of other things that I think are really important here. If you look in verse 5. You know we're 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 given this vision throughout. He's been exalted above the heavens. So part of what the preacher is doing here is he's lifting our eyes. He's saying, don't just look around at your circumstances. If you do that, you're going to be discouraged. Keep your eyes up. Look up where Jesus is. Consider Him. Draw near to Him. This is where you. Uh, this is where the ultimate reality is. This is where we draw our strength. Uh, And then he says, as we make our way through life, uh, we recognize that these priests, uh, they are offering according to the law, they are weak, they do not offer the perfect sacrifice. Verse 5, they serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, this is the tabernacle back in Exodus, he was given... Um, a pattern uh, that he was to make the tabernacle according to that was shown to him on the mountain. And so what he's saying here is he's saying Jesus is the one in heaven. The Old Testament worship in particular, which is what the, the Hebrew church was tempted to go back to, that, that was a, a shadow. That was a, a copy after a pattern. But Jesus gives us the real thing. And I think two things here that we see. One is is we're reminded that, like our detective story, like a play, Act 1, Act 2, there is a progression to the story that we are in. In the Old Testament, uh, copies and shadows, you know, a sacrificial system, uh, a tabernacle, a temple, all of these things were pointing us forward to Jesus, they were pointing us forward to the one who is the great lamb, the great high priest, who is the, the tabernacle, the one who brings us close to God. In him, we, we meet the holy of holies, all of these different things. We just studied in 2 Timothy, those of you who were in uh, in my Sunday school class, that these were the sacred writings that were able to make us wise to salvation because they contained the gospel of but they were pointing forward. Jesus is the fulfillment of that. Uh, Jesus is the fulfillment. But what I want us to get here is that even now, though we have all of this and we see clearly Jesus and we recognize that he is the fulfillment, we recognize when we come to a tabernacle that there is a, uh, there's a copy and a shadow, we recognize all of that we're still in a progressive story. Like, when we look up and we see Jesus before the heavens and we recognize, like Jerry referenced earlier, that there is coming a day when we will all be around the Crystal Sea and and we will be singing with every tribe, tongue, kingdom, nation, Glory to the Lamb, Hallelujah to the One who was slain, who is worthy to open the sl- the scrolls. We recognize that that we're not there yet, that our lives are are still moving, and in the midst of all of the things that we struggle with, that we suffer with, that there is a greater story that we are moving into. And that should be part of our encouragement because if you think about it, you know, the Israelites, Old Testament folks, if, if, they, had, if they had not recognized that there was more, they, they would have been so tempted just to quit. You know, if they, if they didn't realize that there was a fulfillment, that there, there was a Messiah coming, they would say, why would we go through all of this stuff? But even for us now, and I think sometimes we get a little bit tricked, and maybe this is just myself, but I was thinking this week about this notion of, of, of progression and, and where we're going and glory. And I was thinking about, you know, how I think about the Word. We're New Testament Christians. Everything is complete. We know it fully. We see Jesus. We consider Him But sometimes we forget that we're still moving forward. It's, you know, creation and fall, Uh, redemption. Redemption has come. We recognize that, but we're still moving towards consummation, to the renewal of all things. You know, we're told that the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations and that one day God is going to wipe away every tear from our eye. And as I think about that, I think about, you know, that really helps me in my suffering because I don't understand it all right now, but I know that there is an unveiling, that there is this denouement, there is this big you know, celebration, there's this big reveal that is coming, and my suffering is going to make sense you know, a lot of people really struggle with the problem of suffering and saying, if there is a good God, why do we have to struggle or why do we have to suffer? It's a fair question uh, and one that we, we need to engage in different ways. And there's not a total answer to it. Um, you know, we can say several things. We say, okay, I recognize that. One of the things that's really unique about the Christian faith is that we have a God who doesn't, Uh, abhor suffering, but He actually enters into it along with us. I'm not sure that there's any other faith tradition that really talks about that the way Christianity does. And it's one of the things that's so compelling, you know, is that we have a Savior who, who knows and who enters into our suffering. But the other thing that I was thinking about in terms of our suffering and the way that we struggle with it is we forget that we are not God. We think that there should be an answer to our suffering that we can understand. And that's partially what Hebrews is saying is you've come to Jesus and He's at the right hand of the throne of the majesty and He is seeing things and He's interceding for you in ways that you can't understand. So I know that your suffering is hard, But don't just push it off to the side because you don't understand it. That doesn't mean that there's not a purpose to it. That doesn't mean that there's not some greater beauty that is wrapped up with it. And this is not cheap. You know, the Bible doesn't give cheap answers to things. It's not just like, well, you know, it's better, just get through it. It's like, no, I know it's hard. But hang on to it. Hang on to it because we believe that Jesus is greater. And we believe that the God of glory is more transcendent and more holy than we ever could have asked or imagined. So this idea of progression in our story, that there is coming this reveal, that there is coming the moment in glory, it helps us as we're continuing to go through. Not just that we'll escape suffering but that it will actually make sense to us one day and there will be greater meaning with it the last thing that i just want to highlight you see uh jesus is here and and where does he serve he serves before the throne of the majesty he he serves in the heavens of which the tabernacle the tent was a copy of but he serves in the real place And when we come into worship Sunday by Sunday, uh, when we come into the presence of God, when we're called to worship through His Scripture, uh, when we hear the declaration of forgiveness, you know, like we did this week in our liturgy, we're reminded to lift up our hearts. And the congregation responds, we lift them up to the Lord. And, And we're reminded that that is where our worship takes place. It's not so much that, that God comes down and he inhabits us. I mean, that, that's a very real truth. We, we want to talk about the doctrine of the incarnation. But I think what Hebrews is doing is pushing us the other way, is that united to Christ, we are actually lifted up into the heavenly throne room. And where do we get a taste of that? Right here. We get a taste of that with God's people who are gathered around God's Word, gathered around the sacrament. Here it is. We, we are lifted up, as it were, into the heavenly throne room, and we, we get a taste of the marriage supper of the Lamb. We get a taste of the glory that we are to inhabit all eternity, and we get a taste that is to propel us out into the world and allow us the strength and the energy and the endurance that we have day by day. I wonder if you think about worship that, that, that way. You know, when we when we come into the sanctuary, uh, the writer's going to talk about this a lot more in, in chapter 12. We, we've read some portions of that. You know, you have not come to what might be touched, a blazing fire, a darkness, gloom, tempest. He's talking about the first Mount Sinai. Uh, But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn, who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, the spirit of righteous man righteous men made perfect, Jesus, the meteor, the new covenant, the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of angels. He's saying, when you come into worship, this is, this is where you are. You know, we don't live in a world where it's bifurcated, and you've got the heavens, and, and you've got the earth, and, and they never touch. It, there are points of intersection all over, and one of the greatest points of interaction is when we come into worship. When we sit down at the table with the Lord and, and, and we are fed by Him, we are reminded that we are part of that heavenly gathering, even now. You know, united with Christ, we we are joining our voices not only with Christians throughout the world, but throughout all time and eternity, Christians that have passed on before us, folks that are around the crystal sea, singing glory and hallelujah to the Lamb. I read a statistic this week, I'm not exactly sure what it means, Uh, but 12% of self-identified evangelicals attend church weekly. Now, I don't, that's in Michigan, Uh, it's a little higher in Texas, Uh, (laughs) but um, I, I wonder, do we have that vision? That when we are coming together with God's people, that we are invited into the very throne room of God. I, I pray that that's your experience, my experience. You know, that, that we are opened up to innumerable angels in festal gathering around the throne singing glory to the Lamb week by week. Because this, the preacher says, is the power that you need to continue to go forward with your drooping hands and your weak knees. You need Jesus, the better mediator of a new covenant. We're going to go into the covenant. We're going to go into the sacrifice over the next couple of weeks. But right now, the preacher says, allow your imaginations to be expanded. Not Kind of imaginations when we talk about fairy tales and things that are not true. But things that, you know, the Apostle Paul says, the Spirit is able to do beyond what we can ask or imagine. The glory that Jesus inhabits, the grace that he gives us, is enough as we move forward. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you for its promise. We thank you for the ways that it 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 calls us further up and farther in. Lord, we we pray that uh, our realities as as dungy or as dingy as they may be, as as um, difficult as they may be would would not compare to the way that we are able to see the transcendent reality that is pictured for us here. Thank you, Jesus, for being our minister. Thank you for serving us before the throne of the majesty. We pray that you would fill our hearts with that as our hearts are lifted up before you uh, at the table as we get ready to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.